Welcome to Living Downstream, the environmental justice podcast. I'm your host, Steve Mencher. We are calling this story Smackdown, City Hall versus Big Oil. Producer Claire Schoen has adapted this story from another podcast, Stepping Up. It tells the tale of Richmond, California, a working-class town living in the shadow of a Chevron refinery. As Claire reports, the town and the refinery are bound together by toxic flares and spills, sky-high rates of asthma, and climate-changing greenhouse gases. But can Richmond thrive without the taxes and jobs that Chevron supplies? And what are the consequences of continuing business as usual? Well, welcome everybody. This is our Toxics Tour. And this is Andres Soto. His Toxics Tour of Richmond, California includes some impressive views. This is sort of a pretty spot. It's quite pretty. You have houses, you have fields, you have oak trees. Oh my gosh, is that it? So here we are uh, at this gate, which is as far as we can go on this trail. And it actually presents one of the clearest views of the Chevron Richmond refinery. It looks like one of those dystopian communities in those sci-fi movies. Industrial complex in the middle of this green <laughs> environment. It's uh, it's notable. Richmond was known as a company town, where the Chevron refinery ran both the economy and City Hall. People living nearby are hardest hit by the refinery's toxic plume. And as in many American cities, these fence-lined communities are often poor and brown or black. And while we are all affected by climate change, it's the poorest communities which do not have the resources to adapt who end up suffering the most. So what happens when residents wrest control from an oil refinery? What happens when the company decides to fight back? My name is Andres Soto, and I've lived in and around Richmond my entire life. I self-identify as a Chicano, which is essentially a Mexican-American experience. So let's go ahead and get started. When Andres isn't playing with his Latin jazz band, the Bay Breeze, he's fighting for his city of Richmond and against the Chevron refinery, which has been running the town for over a century. They were openly involved in politics, spread cash around, and kept everybody happy. At one point, a Chevron executive actually had a desk in City Hall. That was just the way business was done. The Richmond Refinery and the City of Richmond have a, a rich and unique heritage. Uh, we create this atmosphere and environment where uh, we all feel like family. That is Chevron's public relations spokeswoman. My name is Leah Casey, and I work for the Chevron Richmond Refinery, and I manage external communications here. They told me to submit my questions in writing ahead of time and not to vary from them during the interview. 
We agreed to these conditions in order to get their point of view on tape. The, the family culture comes from um, being proud to work for the refinery. For decades, this family culture kept criticism of the refinery at bay. No one talked about the environmental consequences of living next door to an oil refinery. And certainly no one was discussing the impact of fossil fuels on the climate. I remember seeing massive giant flares and thinking it was so cool. It was like a giant firework, you know, just a pulsating massive flame in the night that I could see walking up the street. And it was like, wow, that's so cool. Chevron says hello. Try Chevron Supreme. Yes is the way to go. And Chevron says yes. My awareness that the refinery was not this uh, benevolent big company really started to take shape in high school. I was offended that our mascot was the Oilers, and I just thought it was like a stupid mascot, you know. These guys are dumping, you know, millions of pounds of pollution, you know, people are getting sick from this stuff. Poor people who live closest to these facilities historically have suffered the most cancers, suffered the most asthma. My sister taught for many years over here in Helms and said 50% uh, of her students would always have inhalers. And a lot of people I knew died of cancer. It hasn't been proven that the refinery caused these illnesses. But refineries release a toxic soup. The California EPA has put together a list of 188 chemicals that are emitted from the state's refineries. And according to Backmund, the Bay Area Air Quality Management District, 39 of these toxins are emitted from the Chevron refinery in Richmond. 19 of them can cause cancer, including benzene, arsenic, formaldehyde, and lead. Others can cause kidney, liver, and heart problems, developmental issues, and asthma. And a study by Brown University and others found that Richmond has some of the worst childhood asthma rates in the Bay Area, and double the national average. Chevron's spokeswoman has a different perspective. A lot of it is misinformation. Um, a lot of times you'll see puffy, what might appear clouds of smoke, when in fact it's just steam. Um, it's just part of our, our process. So we care about protecting the environment, and it's something that we think about every single day. Some friends and I joined one of Andres's toxic stores to learn about those puffy white clouds. That's smoke or steam coming out of that refinery? That's steam, uh, but what you can't see can actually kill you. This is the second largest greenhouse gas emitting facility in the state of California, primarily CO2 uh, and the other greenhouse gases. It's a, it's a cocktail. That's what damages the global environment. And that's what's melting the polar ice caps and all the glaciers and sea level rise and extreme weather. And that starts with places like this. But along with the greenhouse gases, which are destroying the atmosphere, it's the fine particulate matter that actually creates the disproportionate health impacts of high rates of asthma, high rates of cancer. Uh, so you can't see the fine particulate matter. But this is the stuff we breathe in and out of our lungs. 
Andres gave us some basic facts. The Richmond refinery processes 250,000 barrels of crude oil a day, making it one of the largest refineries in California. And Chevron is only the beginning. So we are the beginning of the refinery corridor, as we call it, with Chevron being the anchor right here in Richmond. Then seven miles up the road is the Phillips 66 Rodeo refinery, and then Shell's refinery in Martinez, and then the Tesoro refinery, and then the Valero Benicia refinery. You take the train up to Sacramento, and then you go right within 50 feet of all those refineries. Yeah. Okay, I think you had a, uh, had a question first. Okay, go ahead. So I'm curious, are the asthma rates, the childhood asthma rates, comparable in those other communities that are in the shadow of um, these facilities? Yes, there's a direct correlation. Uh, it's higher. But a function of geography is that the kids in Pittsburgh, the Pittsburgh Antioch area, actually have some of the highest rates. And they don't have a refinery, but they're at the tail end of all five refineries. And so they get the worst of it out there. Andres has spent most of his adult life fighting for his community's health and safety. But in 2004, he added a new weapon to his arsenal, local politics. What we recognized was that the only way things are going to change here is if we ourselves become candidates to run for office and change the politics. And so uh, I knew we needed an organization and we needed to run slates because they couldn't get all of us at the same time. So I reached out to everybody I knew and built a multiracial coalition around this, an alliance of like-minded people who had other issues with the city, including the Greens. The Greens brought an environmental lens to this coalition. If we were going to take on Chevron, people in the environmental justice movement were natural allies. Andres helped start the Richmond Progressive Alliance, the RPA. Their platform took a strong stand on pollution and the public health crisis it was creating for the community. When they have to rush to the emergency room because their child is having an asthma attack, or when they create asthma clubs at the school instead of a book club, these are the realities that people know and relate to, and that was the primary target of the environmental justice component of the platform. Over the next 10 years, the RPA started winning at the ballot box. Gail McLaughlin became mayor, and one after another, the seats on the city council were turning over as well. Andres began working with CBE. Communities for a Better Environment, or CBE, is an environmental justice organization. And in 2012, I was um, looking for a new job and I saw they were looking for a Richmond organizer, so I applied and I got the job. And it was really a baptism by fire, both metaphorically and directly. That's because his first day on the job, the Chevron refinery blew up. Breaking news right now, a large fire burning at the Chevron refinery in Richmond. I got a call from my colleague at work who said, hey, I think you want to come outside and see this. And I went outside and there was this massive big black cloud up in the sky that all of a sudden was spreading over the whole community. They call my mom, call the coming. 
We are told this is not under control and a shelter is Concerns about public health and ongoing risks from industrial pollution in nearby low-income communities of color. It melted, literally melted an entire fire truck, including the engine block. That's how intense this fire was. Over 15,000 people reported to local hospitals. Chevron's reply? Since then, we have been working every day to make sure that we um, perform safely and reliably and that we rebuild the trust of the community. The animosity towards the company, I think, reached a, 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 a new height, not only in the community, but in the region. Well, it certainly got people's attention. The city council voted to sue Chevron for damages, and Richmond's residents took to the streets. So in the aftermath of the Chevron explosion and fire, we began organizing for a one-year anniversary march. And uh, we had over 3,000 people march down McDonald Avenue to the gates of Chevron. And we had 209 people voluntarily arrested. And uh, it was the biggest march that the city of Richmond has ever seen in its history before or since. The fire also helped the city's residents see the connection between local pollution and global carbon emissions. If we put in mitigations that reduce the particulate matter, it will also reduce the greenhouse gases. They're created by the same source. And so naturally our battles are linked. The Richmond Progressive Alliance kept pushing Chevron. I asked Chevron if they had a problem with this. We have a productive and you know, constructive relationship with the city. Really? I asked again. Our relationship with the city of Richmond is actually quite productive. And just to make sure I wasn't missing something. The important thing is that you maintain uh, a constructive and productive dialogue. It's just around working together to have a productive relationship. The most important thing is that we the have most that important dialogue. Thing is the, the dialogue. We want to work closely together with the city for sound policies that allow the city of Richmond to grow and thrive. The RPA was not going to just take Chevron's word for it that they were doing the best thing in the interest of the people. There were serious and real questions they had to answer. And so Chevron then became the wedge issue in the community. Each election, the Richmond Progressive Alliance was getting stronger. And after the outcry over the Chevron fire, Chevron decided it had had enough. It was high time they flipped City Hall back to their side. The 2014 election was gearing up, and the fight was on. The RPA was going to now run a full slate. A mayoral candidate and three city council candidates, Jovanka Beckles, Eduardo Martinez, and Gail McLaughlin. And for mayor... Tom Butt. The environment was certainly part of my decision to run for mayor. You know, the chief competitor was Nat Bates, and... Uh, Bates, he always stated publicly that he was a staunch Chevron supporter. And he, he used that as a basis of his campaign. And that's really, I think that's what the race came down to. I'm Nat Bates. Uh, 
I get criticized a great deal because of my relationship with Chevron. But uh, Chevron is the largest taxpayer in the city of Richmond. And not only are they providing solid revenue to the city, they're providing employment opportunities to the city. Nat Bates was going to be Chevron's guy. And uh, everybody knew he was going to totally rely upon Chevron's money and mail. And the RPA supported Tom Butt, who was an independent candidate. He was the alternative. Tom was not part of the RPA, but he was a liberal and an environmentalist. The big news was the money that Chevron threw into this election. It was a lot of money. The Rachel Maddow Show starts right now. Good evening, Rachel. Good evening, Chris. Thanks, Ben. <laughs> you bet. Uh, the Richmond City Council, and specifically the more liberal wing of the Richmond City Council, uh, they've basically been a thorn in Chevron's side for years now. What does the world's most profitable industry do when something or someone is standing in the way of their interests and their bottom line? Guess what they do? One of the richest corporations in the history of the earth unloads money on that town. Not like it's coming out of a spigot, but more like it's gushing out of an out-of-control blown well. Each election, they ramped it up. And by 2014, they put in $3.5 million. Nat Bates saw it differently. They gave the appearance that Nat Bates is a Chevron flunky or whatever. But I'm, I'm not a, a puppet to anyone. People were blasting me about accepting contributions from Chevron. But anyone who refused uh, contributions from Chevron, you got to be a damn fool. You can buy a lot of ads for $3 million. The community was completely dominated by Chevron's advertisement, either slamming RPA candidates or supporting Chevron-supported candidates, particularly Nat Bates for mayor. I personally, in the mailbox, was receiving these flyers every day. It was usually two or three a day. There was more than that. I also see many flyers when I went to different events. Slick promotions of the Chevron candidates. And negative against candidates that were uh, pretty much against Chevron. And then, of course, there were the billboards, and they pretty much bought every billboard in town. Little ads would pop up in my email or Facebook for the Chevron candidates, and I definitely got robocalls. I, I, I got those calls. We were all bombed with, with their propaganda. The consultants didn't know what to do with all the money they had, so they were just, you know, doing more of the same and charging Chevron for that. Their account of the RPA candidates was also of questionable veracity. These smear campaigns, blatant lies and slander, and so over the top. They were so ugly in portraying them as you know, dangerous radicals and, had a and of Eduardo Martinez in his Halloween costume. Yes, Halloween costume. <laughs> oh, yes. Like with bandages on his head, implying that he was involved in some kind of violent rioting. And they picked, they picked it off of Facebook, and then they used it in a flyer, saying he was an anarchist. <laughs> it's hilarious. I was always looking to see who paid for this one, who paid for this one. You know? Chevron was actually, you know, sponsored. Major funding by Chevron an energy provider. That's the fine print. It was so fine you couldn't read it. The Citizens United Supreme Court ruling made all of this possible. They can spend as much money as they want as long as they reveal 
that they are the ones spending this money. Please join me in welcoming Bernie Sanders. <laughs> Bernie Sanders came to town, and there were rumors that he might run for president. And so everybody's very excited. Citizens United was what I think will go down in history as one of the worst decisions ever made by a Supreme Court in American history. And he spoke, of course, against Citizens United. You need to take money out of politics and, you know, the Bernie Sanders rap. The result of that decision was to give Chevron and all of corporate America the opportunity to spend unlimited, unlimited sums of money in races for the White House, for the U.S. Senate, the U.S. House, and even municipal elections like here in Richmond around the country. And uh, I actually got to be his bodyguard. <laughs> so I, I, had to, I had to follow him to the restroom and make sure nobody <laughs> tried to intervene while he was, uh, you know, handling his business. And so uh, it was very cool. The eyes of the country are on you. You can stand up and beat them with all of their money. And of course, at the end of the rally, people started, you know, chanting, run, Bernie, run. The Richmond Progressive Alliance did not have a ton of money on their side, but they had a devoted grassroots base of volunteers that were energized by their anger at Chevron. We had volunteers walking in the door of the office, sometimes two or three a day, who were so fed up, they literally would bring the stack of mail and they said, this is just what I got this week. I'm sick and tired of this. I want to work for you guys. RPA volunteers hit the streets, canvassing door to door throughout Richmond. They also worked the phones, held house parties, reached out to their neighbors through social media, and more. And the campaign office was hopping. Bates had his supporters, too. A lot of them were from the black churches, and racial politics was part of the mix. African Americans were feeling sidelined by a growing Latino population and white gentrification. And while the RPA slate was actually integrated... Bates saw them as a white movement of paternalistic environmentalists. The RPA is a, is a group that has a, a plantation mentality. Um, they always know what's best for you without coming and consulting with you to find out. They're like a plantation owner. As for Chevron, I finally got a hint of their real motivation. As a large business, um, it is in our interest to uh, have um, elected officials that support the business, and that's what's important to us. On election night, RPA volunteers were wound up. I was extremely nervous. I had a headache all day. You know, with all this stuff, who knows? I mean, no matter what, the fight is worth it. Even if you don't win all the seats, if you win one seat, if you change one mind, if you get the message out, you're winning. Lo and behold, the RPA swept the whole election. Every one of Chevron's supported candidates lost, and ultimately they got handed their head on a platter. It's people power versus money. 
Well, I was delighted, of course. Uh, relieved. I, you know, I guess I partied. I it's a big blur. <laughs> the next night, Richmond was the lead story on Rachel Maddow's Rachel Maddow. show. Yes. In Little yes. Richmond, they went up against Chevron, so it was a national story. The Rachel Maddow Show starts right now. Good evening, Rachel. Good evening, Chris. Okay, last night, against all the odds in the world, Tom Butt was elected mayor of Richmond, California, working-class blue-collar city just northeast of San Francisco, uh, where the oil company Chevron has operated a huge and sometimes troubled refinery for over a century now. And last night, those little Davids fighting that Goliath, they whomped Chevron in every single race in the city that Chevron was trying to buy. I think people just completely got turned off. It completely backfired. One of my neighbors said flat out, Chevron is not going to buy our election. So 2014 brought the Richmond Progressive Alliance a majority in City Hall for the first time. And in the 2016 election, they won a supermajority. With the RPA firmly in the driver's seat, renewable energy and other sustainable projects are popping up all over Richmond. In the former Ford plant, SunPower is located, which is a solar panel assembly company. And then there's a number of other smaller solar companies who have a presence in Richmond. These include Ally Electric and Solar, Heliodyne Incorporated, Pegasus Solar, System Innovation, Clean Point Energy, Stratosolar, H-Ion Solar Incorporated, and Allion Energy. One of the biggest moves Richmond's made was to join MCE, a community choice aggregation program. They purchase electricity on the open market from solar or wind and then deliver it via the existing transmission lines. And so it provides everybody with 50% of their electricity from renewable sources. And if people want to pay a little bit more per month, they can get 100% of their electricity from renewable sources. The mayor went to the Paris Climate Summit to learn about what's being done on the city level to move us all toward sustainability. Here in Paris, it is important to show the possibilities of your achievements. I attended the um, United Nations meeting in Paris where the climate accords were adopted. There was a one-day event hosted by the mayor of Paris at the Paris City Hall. There were something like 400 mayors from all over the world. I'm George Ferguson, I'm the mayor the of Bristol. Secretary General of uh, South African Local Government Association. I'm Councillor Andrew Cooper, I'm from England. The thing that struck me the most about it is that so many people acknowledged that cities uh, pioneered in most of the climate change issues. And so it made me realize that what we were doing in Richmond along with a lot of other cities was really important. We're where the rubber hits the road. I mean, we are the first responders when something happens. The real action happens in the cities. We're the people who are closer to the issues, and I think we're closer to the solutions. As a mayor, that's a gift. Having environmentalists in local government has made a difference in Richmond's move towards sustainability. But it is not, at this point, up to scale where it has become a significant employment sector within the community. And that is a crucial point. Can these new businesses possibly hope to replace Chevron's well-paying jobs? 
there have been a number of initiatives and companies that have been starting to engage in the new economy. The city of Richmond partnered up with the building trades to create Richmond Build, a vocational training program for Richmond residents where they taught them solar installation. Okay, so remember on this one, try and angle it towards the center a little bit because you want to avoid that nail coming through the outside of your board. All right? Ooh, two hits, two hits. Okay. How are we doing? My name is Brian Liston. I'm the lead instructor at Richmond Build. We have people that are going into the plumbers, electricians, and other unions as well. And getting into the green building and solar, I think we had 15 students out of our last cohort that went to work directly at the Solar One project. I believe it was 60 acres, uh, eight megawatts of solar. A couple of our students actually became job site foremen after only a couple months on the job. But the reality is Chevron is still the main game in town. And many people think that Richmond cannot survive without Chevron. Chevron provides about a quarter of the city's tax base, and the 1,300 jobs at the plant boost the region's economy. The students at Richmond Build feel caught in the middle of the debate between jobs and the environment. 11.25, let's uh, clean up our area, and we'll take lunch, all right? Lunch time. I would like to like learn how to install panels and you know learn more about it. But me personally, I want to go, I'm going for plumbing. I personally want to work at a refinery because I know the money is there. I always wanted to work at Chevron. I understand that fossil fuel is bad, you know, but you know, solar isn't paying our bills. You work at Chevron, they're, they're paying their guys seventy to $80,000 a year. Solar, yes, you get to be a part of the, the green movement, which is, you know, it's beautiful, right? But you don't, you still, you can't go back home and take care of your family, so. What can we do? You know, all of these refineries and stuff, they're causing global warming. So I think that we need to find, like, an alternative, you know, and um, create that transition. It's, it's a problem in the world, you know what I mean? I mean, I, I would want to see my daughter's granddaughter survive in this world. I mean, if we keep doing what we do, you know, I don't know if, if, we'll, if we'll be able to, st you know, live on, our, on Earth, so. I know, I can't afford to move to Mars. <laughs> <laughs> Once the money is there for solar, I'll probably, chances are, I'll go to it. The tide is turning. More and more people in Richmond recognize that we are going to have to stop burning fossil fuels sooner rather than later if there's any chance of putting the brakes on climate change. Andres' team at CBE is taking the first steps. Within CBE, we have just started to have the conversation about uh, refinery decommissioning and what would that look like. We're going to have more than a century of pollution of the soil, the water, in the immediate vicinity of the refinery. So who's going to clean that up? Who's going to pay for that cleanup? So we are just beginning to contemplate those kind of questions in a more systematic fashion. Moving to a sustainable economy while protecting jobs will be a challenge. It means retraining young refinery workers and providing good compensation for older workers. It means creating new industries and cleaning up the land left behind after old, polluting industries shut down. 
you know, there's all kinds of scenarios that can play out, but unless we start talking about that now and making contingencies to help facilitate that decommissioning, then we're just all being theoretical. Andres's city is not alone. Richmond is part of a national movement of cities and counties who are stepping up to the climate challenge. 400 U.S. cities have committed to uphold the Paris Agreement. New York and Chicago are retrofitting buildings to make them more energy efficient. Houston and Los Angeles are rolling out thousands of LED streetlights. Portland is backing green bonds to finance emissions reduction. And Richmond became the ninth city to sue fossil fuel companies such as Chevron for the costs of adapting to climate change. While our national leadership ignores the crisis, our cities are taking action. For Living Downstream, I'm Claire Schoen. What's the instrumentation on that? Trumpet, trombone. Then the change tenor. is F minor? Yeah, yeah. So I hope you all like the blue. Smackdown, City Hall versus Big Oil, was reported and produced by Claire Schoen. Sarah Craig is associate producer. Our team includes Scott Couet and Eric Peterson. Music by Bay Breeze and Blue Dot Sessions. The Living Downstream theme music was written by David Schulman. A big thanks to Richmond Build students. My name is Imani Cannon. Jonathan Brito. Hi, my name is Ivan Contreras. My name is Mariah Miller. My name is Lamont Brown. And to our campaign chorus. My name is Michelle Chan. I'm Jane Crant. My name is Michael Glickson. Tarnell Abbott. Jeannie Quartz. My name is William Casey. This episode is also part of another podcast, Stepping Up, Surprising Stories of Climate Activists. Subscribe to Stepping Up on your favorite podcast app. Engineering support from Anthony Garcia. I'm your host and senior producer, Steve Mencher. Darren Lachelle is the executive producer, and the president and CEO of Northern California Public Media is Nancy Dobbs. Subscribe to Living Downstream wherever you get your podcasts. Visit our website at norcalpublicmedia.org living. And if you see environmental injustice in your community, write to us at living at norcalpublicmedia.org. Living Downstream thanks our sponsors who make this podcast possible. A list is available at norcalpublicmedia.org.